Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. In the 13th century, there is nothing more like God than silence. We know that Elijah um, didn't encounter God in the earthquake and all of the other dramatic things that were going on, but it was in the stillness and there was a still small voice that was God. So we want to watch out for all of the tumult because that isn't God often. God is uh, in that quietness. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says it's, um, he talks about strength and power and faith being granted to our inner being by the Spirit. And these things aren't granted by words and they aren't represented with words. Strength, power, faith, they, they are not sort of word things, are they? We experience them. They're encountered and granted by presence. So silence is a profound prayer of presence being present to God, being present to my true self, my inner being. The great spiritual teachers of the Christian faith say, if we intend to walk this spiritual path, we must learn to be silent. You've probably encountered this, I know I have, that when we're nervous, we over-talk. the easy, creative silence that exists between friends or between lovers, between a parent and a child maybe, is the treasure of that relationship. It's so special. If we fear the silence, that lets us know the relationship isn't authentic, that we don't feel safe, that genuine trust isn't there. Again, the scripture tells us that perfect love displaces fear. So if we can just trust that we are in the silence, we are in God's love. Love isn't an attribute of God. It's the nature of God. God is love, not just loving. So what's the place of solitude in all of this then? I found myself quite confronted by a Um, quote some years ago might get you guys to do the next slide thank you can I live without the oxygen of recognition I found that really challenging so it's not someone walking down the street and going hey Fran see you there not that kind of recognition the other kind of recognition can I live without that so To speak about solitude then is to talk about moving out of the line of sight of others, to step away, to allow ourselves to be in the uninterrupted gaze of God. Solitude gives us the space to notice how wired we've become to doing the complete opposite of what's really good for us. So solitude isn't loneliness. Solitude is the companionship of God uninterrupted by other responsibilities or voices or people. Again, 
our ego throws up objections and excuses immediately. What's the point? I'm a people person. God knows that. Why would God want me to be alone? Because God made me to be a people person. What would I do? I'd be bored stiff. And besides, I have too much to do and people are relying on me. So if I disappear, the whole workplace, family, church, insert your own situation here, would fall apart. Everything depends on me, therefore I have to be there and I can't step away even for a moment because the universe would break. <laughs> Can you see that this is fear talking? I'm afraid to be alone. My ego relies on what others think of me and how they see me. If I'm not seen to be doing things by others, then I'm not sure of my significance. And I'm pretty unsure of my standing with God if I'm not doing stuff. So the people who are oriented to achieve, to perform, even to serve, yes, you, the humble servers of others, you need the relief of this burden of being seen to be doing. We all need it, but it's particularly helpful for some kinds of people. Step out of the line of sight. Everybody will be fine. You don't have to do anything just for a little while. And I wonder if this is what Jesus really meant when he said that the yoke of his rabbinic teaching was easy and that his burden was light because it's so not about doing more, but about being more. By embracing solitude, we follow Jesus into the quiet place. We withdraw, as he frequently did, from the demands of the crowds, from responsibilities, from those clamoring for our attention and our energy. And we even resist the demand of our own ego to be seen to be doing stuff because our inner being is saying, enough, let's get out of here. So learning to listen to our inner being will often invite us away into a quiet space, alone, to be with God. And it doesn't have to be far, far away. It can be in the back bedroom or the bath or the shower. You know, it doesn't have to be a big mission to make it happen. So solitude isn't closing the curtains and pulling the duvet over our head and sleeping for hours, although an epic nap may be a really healthy part of a great personal retreat. <laughs> but it's not the only part. <laughs> Doing the avoiding sleeping so I don't have to be with God. Um, solitude is also not to be filled with YouTube clips of Brené Brown or Bruxy Cavey or spiritual podcasts or other displacement activities that fill the space God has invited you into. We're endlessly inventive in self-medicating and in finding the workarounds so that I'm not really just being with God. I'm filling that with things that are good, but uh, they actually aren't as good as just being with God. So what instead, if you were to think of solitude not as um, just being alone or lonely, but as enjoying the companionship of Jesus. You're not alone when you're in solitude. 
And what was it? Jesus disappeared in the early morning or at the end of an exhausting day or spent the whole night away from his friends to do. Do you think he was scrolling through scrolls up there on the mountainside? Don't think so. He sought solitude to be with the Father. No distractions. No other commitments, no other people. And nothing was asked of him by the Father except to respond to the invitation to just come and be with the Father. Sometimes he was out in nature, wasn't he? Mountainsides, gardens, olive groves, the lake shore, boats, sometimes in a home or a room. He talks about go into your room, close the door. So clearly that was something he had done. It's the practice, not the place, that's the important thing. But somehow nature helps. And it certainly seemed to help Jesus. And if it helps you, whether it's sitting out on your deck or going for a walk in the local reserve or sitting by the beach on a bench, do that because that's what Jesus did. He was so totally about the transformation of the heart. I don't know if you've noticed, but any good that Jesus affirms or that he enacts or that he points to comes from a place of the heart. And it's in stillness and silence and solitude that our heart is tended to. Vic's going to talk about tending the garden of the soul tonight. Our heart is opened in those practices. It's instructed and it's cherished by God. It takes courage to step out of the busy. I mean, who am I when I'm not doing everything and knowing everything and telling everybody everything? What if there's actually less to me than I thought? And who's God? Can I bear to let God look at me? And if not, why not? So I want to take us into a little uh, meditation. A key word in this meditation is the invitation of Jesus to come. We're going to use this icon. So the way that an icon works is that we don't pray to it, we pray with it. It helps us to see some things that perhaps we don't notice otherwise. Icons really emerged in a time when most people weren't literate. Icons are theology, not art which is why they have a particular way of looking that the people don't look particularly realistic. Oh, why do they look so stiff and stuff? It's because they're following rules of theology and keeping the story straight because if you start adding your own creative inventions in, the story shifts. So this is theology in line and colour. And this is Matthew 14 and Jesus walking on the water. So you might find just being conscious of Jesus walking on the water towards you is helpful. Or you just might find it easier to close your eyes. I'm going to read the text, and then I'm just going to um, lead us through a, a simple meditative reflection on this event in the Gospels. So this form of meditation, meditating on the Scriptures, has been around since... King David and before, so it's, you know, at least 5,000 years old, so I think we're pretty safe with it. So just notice what you notice about the icon and just 
try and relinquish a sense of analyzing or judging. Do I like it? Don't I like it? Is this right? Is it wrong? Just look at it compassionately and softly. Open the eyes of your heart. And just listen to the story. As soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the people. With the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea when the wind came up against them and they were battered by the waves. Just imagine yourself in that boat. They actually haven't been sailing, they've been rowing for hours against this wind. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They were scared out of their wits. A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. But Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage. Courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter, suddenly bold, said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. He cried, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down, grabbed his hand and said, faint heart, what got into you? The two of them climbed into the boat and the wind died down. The disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, worshipped Jesus saying, this is it, you are God's son for sure. So I just want to, again, if you want to close your eyes, you can, or just stay with Jesus on the water. And just notice for yourself your boat and who's in it with you. What's your storm? The wind and the battering waves, what are they in your life? What's it like to hear Jesus say, it's me, don't be scared.
And here's a moment to notice, are you the one climbing out of the boat? Or are you going to sit and watch what happens? And either is fine because there were some who watched and there was one who went. So just notice, are you ready to climb out? Or are you invited just to stay where you are in the boat? Either way, keep your focus on Jesus. Find his face. And just keep your focus on his face as you grip the sides of the boat and climb out. or as you sit there in the tossing boat. And just notice how that feels. And you may find that your attention has slipped already. that you're sinking. So that's okay. That's the moment for Jesus, save me. So let him now help you back into the boat. If you're just an observer, notice what it's like to see Peter and Jesus get into the boat with you. Notice the dropping of the wind. And that here we are together. The boat is an image of the church. We're all in the boat in our own ways. So just return to this boat here and now and hold whatever that moment was for you. But this is stillness. And a teensy bit of silence. And it's solitude in a crowd. This beautiful account has a lot to say to us in our terror and frantic working to stop whatever ship we're in from sinking. Jesus comes to us right in the midst of life. The howling gale, the mountainous seas, the puking, the exhaustion. And says, you can get out of the boat just for a moment and just focus on Jesus. And then he'll come with you back into the boat. That's a moment of contemplation or meditation. There's nothing purer than that prayer between Peter and Jesus. There were no words.
He had nothing with him. He couldn't do anything except fix his eyes and attention on Jesus. And when he lost that focus, he started to sink. It's a wonderful description of what it looks like to just focus on Jesus for a bit without anything else and in the midst of whatever's going on. Imagine if Peter never asked, Lord, is that you? Imagine if he never said, if it's you, call me to come out to you. I think he needed to hear that particular invitation. Is it you? That's the voice he would recognize. If Jesus says, come, you come. If someone else says it, you probably don't. Peter knew that voice. This, for me, is what stillness um, and silence and solitude look like in real life. The intentional decision to listen for that invitation of Jesus. To do the complete opposite of what everyone else thinks ought to be done. To meet Jesus face to face and alone, without words, with nothing. Just nothing but ourselves. Balanced and still for a few precious moments on the shifting waters underfoot, knowing that Jesus has got us. And it wasn't just good for Peter. It was good for the whole boatload of them, wasn't it? They all benefited in his courage of getting out just being with Jesus and then getting back in and he brought Jesus with him. So whatever your circumstances, taking that moment to listen, if Jesus is saying, yes, it's me, come. Whether it's just for a moment at home or on a regular basis in some other way. And our silence might be wobbly and it might keep filling up with our distractions and our stillness might be antsy and wriggly and our solitude might be encroached on by distractions and our ego needs and our attachments. But every time, every time, Jesus says, it's me. Don't be scared. Faint heart, why did you doubt? And that's how it is. We lose our focus and we have to be rescued over and over and over, and that is how it is, even in our prayer. So our practice of stillness and silence and solitude, our courage to simply be with God, changes us, it changes our community, it changes the world, because Jesus is glimpsed and experienced by others through us. So, may the grace of God be with us all as we move into our day. If you'd like to talk to me a bit more about any of this, I'm happy for that, or if you've got questions, or a prayer need. But now, return to all of us, to cups of coffee, to the World Vision Table, to changing the world with kindness. Bless you. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.